Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello, everyone. I'm Paris Fox, and I'd like to welcome you to 12 O'Clock High, a podcast on business leadership with Tom Fox, hosted by Richard Lummis. Richard is on assignment, so I have as my guest Rob Riles. As you will discover, Rob is an Englishman who talks about UK football and leadership lessons he's learned in the beautiful game. First, a quick word from our sponsor. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox, back for another episode, and I'm thrilled today to have Rob Riles from us. As you will soon find out, he is from a little east of where we typically have podcast guests. But we're going to talk about leadership, the beautiful game, Rob's career, and wherever else this goes. So, Rob, with that incredibly long-winded introduction, first of all, welcome and thank you so much for taking the time to visit with me today. Thank you, Tom. It's a great privilege, and uh, I don't, it's not something I take lightly. So thank you for inviting me onto your podcast. So tell us a little bit about your professional background. Okay, so essentially I have spent the majority of my work in life in professional football and a lot of that has been split between two arenas which are heavily interlinked. Um, I started off in the rehabilitation and performance teams of, uh, of football clubs and um I also coached as well, and over the recent years, it's my coaching, my technical coaching that has kind of taken the forefront. So I've kind of had two two heads, if you like, and um, yeah, I've been working in football for on and off for most of my life. But you've taken that work in football and really developed that into a much broader remit around managing leadership and coaching as well. Could you tell us a little bit about how you made that evolution? Yeah, it's a great question. And as I, as it says on my website, I was fascinated as a young man and by the managers of teams. And as much as all young people, and I'm sure it's the same in the States that kids, especially boys dream of being a, you know, an NFL player or, or a baseball player or whatever the, the, the passionate sport is basketball. Uh, that's what I wanted to do too. But I was also 
constantly intrigued by the guys who sat on the touchline in what we call dugouts. I don't know whether they call that in the States dugouts on the bench who led the teams. And ultimately that, that never went away. And, and that's where my, where my passion for leadership came from Tom. And because of my love for the game, the, the two kind of sat together really. So that that's kind of become my, my passion, which has led on to, to the leader, manager, coach, podcast and brand if you like tom are you a scouser no but i you, you've got a beautiful ear because i've worked for everton football club I, I i did a lot of my training up in liverpool and i have many friends in liverpool i go there regularly so i'm a, i'm an adopted scouser really so um you know you've got a great ear <laughs> so i'll explain my love of uh, the liverpool football club in a moment and it will all become clear the, the game of soccer, some call it the beautiful game. I was frankly stunned at the athleticism of the players and how hard they work the first time I saw a live game. It's a very different experience on television. You can certainly see the bigger picture and, you know, cutaway shots, et cetera. And it's great on television. You fully don't appreciate it. So you've stood on whatever the lowest level of, of English football is and watched those 18 to 45-year-old men run full speed for 90 minutes. And so I was really intrigued by your work really on the training side of things. And could you talk a little bit about that part of your mm-hmm. career and how do you get men ready to, for people like me to watch them for 90 minutes? Do you know what? Your insight is really helpful. People who even love the game and watch it on television have absolutely, and I say this with the greatest respect, I'm absolutely no high idea how how good physically and how, how not only just how skillful, but how amazing physically th- these professional athletes are. They are un- unbelievable, really. And it's only when you have the opportunity to study them at close range and also you understand a little story. When I was uh, at a club called Stoke City, which is now in the in, in the Championship, so the, so, the, so the second tier below the Premier League, occasionally on a Friday when they were doing their team shape, the manager would say to me, "Look, we we need we need an opposition team." So I'd become a member of the opposition team, or I'd make the numbers up just so they could run through some practices. Now, occasionally, Tom, I might touch the ball once or twice in the practice because I was the physiotherapist, I was the, 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 the trainer, if you like. A few years later, I went to work in the Premier League for Everton. And, um, and occasionally, I would like be asked to be involved so that they could just put on some kind of practice. Never touched the ball once. Never, ever even came near me. And I, and I wasn't not fit. but And that was, I'm talking about, you know, a, long, a, few, a good few years ago. The game's evolved even more. And it is frighteningly quick. The ball moves so quickly. And today, the players that play at the very top level, they are supreme athletes. Biomechanically, which means, you know, a lot of that is the gifts that that God gave to to individuals. They are put together so beautifully well. Um, Most of the, the, the good players, that they move, they're easy on the eye. They're so powerful. They're resilient because they play two or three games a week. And the, the toll that takes on them it is enormous. And, and it is a job and a half 
to keep players on the pitch. Players don't want to admit injury. Players are, are challenged amazingly by injury. And a lot of them are playing with little niggles all the time because they don't want to give up their place. It, it's too valuable. And um, when they are injured, psychologically, they're not in a good place. They're, they are hard to deal with, understandably. They challenge you. They don't like you. They hate you. They feel like they hate you. They make your life miserable because they're miserable, because they ain't doing what... It's a racehorse in a stable, you know? Um, so it's not an easy job. And lots of people think, oh, I'd love to do that. And that's what I, I thought. And when you do it, it's it's a thousand times different than you'll think it will be. And um, it's not easy, but it's very rewarding. Um, it's it's highly stressful now because if a player's not playing, he's if you're if you're earning the the, the telephone number wages that people earn today, if you're earning a hundred thousand pounds a week and you can't play for three weeks, that's three hundred thousand pounds that's that's not not being utilised. And if that goes on for six weeks and eight weeks, the pressure mounts and mounts. So th- there's lots of things that impact the role, Tom. And you're under pressure to get people out quickly. And by doing that, you go against Mother Nature because Mother Nature will only really heal at the rate that the universe allows. And yes, we have all the tricks in the book. We have all the latest technology, depending on what level of the game you work at. But it's still a challenge. But hey, you know, if you like a challenge in life and you're interested in that kind of thing, what better arena to be able to to work in? So I'm not sure if that answers all your question, Tom, but it maybe it's an insight, huh? So let me do a few translations. The practice team you described that you assisted with in America, that's called the travel squad. And I know that because I was always on the travel squad, uh-huh. meaning I played against the, the first team and helped get them ready for the game. Uh you're also correct that American football coaches sit on a bench or stand near a bench, but in American baseball, managers sit in a dugout. So we're close on some of those. The um, thing, the other observation um, I had was about football is that although the game is 90 minutes, every second matters. Mm-hmm. And I've seen games, I can name a couple, but literally at the 88th minute or the 89th minute, one player blinks for two seconds and the ball's over their head to someone else and they score. And so I learned from that there there is no downtime. You have to be on, and I mean on, peak of your game every moment of those 90 minutes and more of course if it goes into to extra time um and that probably amazed me when i had that revelation as much as anything because you 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 can't look away you, you have to be on your game and how to even professional athletes at that level sustain that sort of focus leaving the physical part of it aside that you've described, but the mental part of it. Can you Mm. say a few words about that? Yeah, and your insight, again, is very pertinent because if you look at the stats, the statistics, there's more goals scored in the last 10 minutes of games than the the other 10 minutes blocks. So does something happen? Well, 
we know that there's more fatigue, so more mistakes happen. But also, as you rightly say, people switch off. People get mentally fatigued and they're, they're not as, as aware. And one of the, you'll hear it all the time from the dugout, from the bench, stay switched on, stay switched on because, you know, you've hit the nail on the head. It's like, it's half a second of daydream, uh, half a second of not concentration. The ball's gone past you. Depending on what position on the pitch you're in, it is fatal. So having that mental concentration is absolutely paramount, and it's not easy. There are countless examples of great players, like like people like Paul Gascoigne, and you can name just keep going on naming them who drift in and out of games. And I've been there. I've sat. I've been sitting on the bench, and. This is with, I remember it well, with one of the international teams and the, the, the head coach is sitting to my right and our centre forward, who's the guy who scores all the goals, or theoretically, he was known for not concentrating as a young kid, he's 17. And he was wandering about in the defence, he was lost. And this is in an international game. And the, the coach is like pulling his hair out, sitting there thinking, saying, what's he doing? What's he doing? What's Ravi doing? And all of a sudden... Um, the player picks up the ball in defence, dribbles past about three players, takes the ball up the other end and scores. Um, but for five minutes before that, ten minutes before that, he was lost. He was he, he wasn't even in the game. Now, because he was an exceptional player, he he kind of was still an asset. But um, you have to have these days to have a successful team. You have to have eleven players on the pitch who are concentrating. You also have to have six or seven substitutes on the bench who are concentrating because if you get a player who goes on who hasn't been watching the game and hasn't been at the races which is difficult um you've only got ten and a half players on the field and it it can't happen in today's game if you want success tom let me turn to leadership because that's what really intrigued me about your podcast and what you do and the leadership structure you laid out was coach, manager, and leader. Uh, Many of the listeners to this podcast are corporate executives. Mm. And I saw a lot of applicability to your formulation Mm. to helping corporate executives understand their role. So I was wondering if you could sort of walk us through the role of each one of those leadership positions on a football club, and then how someone can really progress up and hopefully be successful at each level because the skills needed at each level are so different. Again, another great question, I think. Um, So the coach is somebody who loves players. He loves being out on the grass. He studies the game, all the technical detail, all the tactical detail. He knows how to put training sessions on. He understands players from a physical point of view, a technical and tactical point of view. And he is able to create training sessions that are appropriate to bring out a certain result. And players will go to them so that they can be improved individually and as a team. Now... There are managers that in, in the English game, the Scottish game, the, the, the European game, there are team managers who, who, yes, they will be able to coach a little bit, but their skill is understanding which players fit better where and how to motivate players, how to inspire players, how to uh, even buy players and, and get play, players transferred. So 
there's the technical on the grass coach and then there's the head of the organization who, who who actually might give the team talk now there's an overlap between the two sometimes we get what you call coaches who manage they're so good to, like Pep Guardiola Manchester he is a phenomenal phenomenal coach then you'll get managers who coach and I would say David Moyes who's now at West Ham United who was at Everton he is a great manager but also a coach but I think he's a manager who coaches so there's this overlap but then there's this and you have to just on that I think you have to know what it's that self-knowledge it's that it's that understanding understanding yourself above all else know thyself because if you're a good coach and that's your forte you might not want the media you might not want the limelight you might not want um to get involved in in, in board discussions but you want to be with the players if you're a manager you may be inspiring you may have a great network of people uh, and that's your forte compared to being on the grass and then the third one is the leadership now you I, I think a great coach can be a leader and a great manager can be a leader so the leadership is more of a, a, a it's a personal thing because we can all be leaders in our own way but I, I want to say that I think the greatest leaders are the ones who uh, have best self-knowledge, understand relationships, understand what makes other people tick, uh, uh, can communicate really well, show courage, have great virtues, and are, are, are someone who other people look up to and respect. Well, I have to give an absolute shout out. You're the only person I've ever talked to about English football who cited Aristotle. So well done. Know thyself. But how can a person who wants to move up that ladder you've just discussed, whether it be on a football club or in the corporate world, how do you help them think through developing the skills at each level? Because they really are a different skill set. And do you feel like those levels can be taught. I think one of the key things, Tom, I've learned this to my own, at my own expense in terms of wasted time, not wasted time, but, but in hindsight thinking, yeah, I could have done that quicker and better. Is If you have to go back to that, understand thyself, what is it that inspires you? What is it that, that you're good at? What are the things that make you happy? And, and what, what what do other people say that, that you they get from you? And and then you have to embrace those because if you spend your life and your time trying to climb the ladder and improving skills on things that actually don't make you happy and are not what you're naturally good at, you won't have the result that you'll have if you be yourself. And if you be yourself, uh, the climbing is a lot easier. Yes, it takes work. Yes, it takes time. Yes, it takes the focus and concentration uh, and education. But but you kind of are getting fulfilled all the time, rather than it being in a in a situation where you hate your job because actually it's not you, and you have to have that resonance. And you can tell when somebody's in that resonance. You can tell that that that, that they're they become successful. They're a Muhammad Ali, they're a Pele, they're a, they're a Babe Ruth, they're a, they're a Michael Jordan. 
you know, they're a, they're a, they're a John Wooden, uh, you know, whoever you want to, Angelo Dundee, whoever you want to, you want to, you want to say they, they, they are a shining light because they've married their own natural strengths with, with, with the right, with the right social structure, if you like, and they're on the right path. I suppose that's the best way of putting it. I think I've talked to a lot of people about leadership in this podcast, and you're the first person who ever said it starts with passion. Um, and that whatever drives you, whatever your passion is, that's going to be the direction you go because Mm -hmm. at the end of the day, that's what you love. I love talking to people, people like this. I love doing, I, interview six to eight people a day on podcasts and yeah. I absolutely love it. Yes. Wow. wow. I have 55 podcasts. So I'm yeah. a busy boy, but I love learning. And so it's not work for me. And what I just heard you describe is if you have that passion, you have a foundation that you can build upon because you'll love it. And probably you'll do the work to grow into it. But I also heard you say a lot of other things that are incredibly important in the corporate world. Uh, as we would say, don't talk the talk, walk the walk, mm-hmm. listen, um, be compassionate, make those around you not simply better than they are, but better than you are. How can a leader really, in your opinion, inspire people to, to do that so that the team is, the whole is greater than the sum of the individual parts? I think that if you, you you put yourself in in the shoes of a player. You have to have a reason to follow somebody, Tom. We all have to have a reason. None of us will follow somebody who we don't consider worth following. And what are the things that make you worth following? You're real. You know, you stand in front of a group of 26-year-old professional athletes. They can see through you within 30 seconds. If you haven't got the courage of your convictions... If you haven't done the work to make yourself the person that you are purporting to be, you'll get seen through very, very quickly. So you have to do the work on yourself. And if you've done the work on yourself, then you can be honest and transparent. You know, Um, we all respond to inspiration. We don't, you know, people will go through, and this is proven time and time again in, 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 in football in the UK, and I'm sure it's the same in, in, in the sports in, in America, and even companies that followers will will go through brick walls for leaders that they that they trust and, and and they believe in. You know, people will do amazing things because they want to earn the respect of of the person who who they look up to. You look at Jose Mourinho and, and Pep Guardiola and, and Sir Alex Ferguson and Shanks and, and Bob Paisley, the, the, the players who played for them said, I, I would have done anything for him. Whatever he said I would do because he, 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 he would look after me. And if the players know you care, then they will, they, they will do for you what you want them to do. People don't care. As I say, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care, Tom. And um, if you can share that, and get that through and people believe in you and uh, you show courage of your, the courage of your conviction, you have a chance. So in American football, we would say the locker room always knows. They know Mm -hmm. if you're truthful, they know if you care, they know if you don't, Uh, they know if you don't know what you're talking about. 
and the men in the locker room or women always know. And that's really the first first step. But um, Rob, unfortunately, no, we're not near the end of our time because I wanted to ask you about leadership in the future. And I want to preface that by saying we always say leadership's important, but I even think it's even more important now because in football, the players are better. They're playing at a higher level. They have taken their individual games to places they weren't 20, 30, 40 years ago. And so I think that requires really a higher level of leadership. But I wanted to get your, your thoughts on the importance of a football club, of an international organization or a business developing leaders and developing those men to lead these perhaps the greatest athletes in the world. Yeah. Look, yes, the the technical ability of these of our players gets better, gets faster, and they demand more. I think because of the way that society develops now, it's also harder to be a leader because you could do things in the past and, you know, you, you, you could be more of a tyrant in the past, if I can use that phrase, and you could dominate and you could say, look, this is how we do it. I'm the boss. This is how it goes. And it, it would have worked. It doesn't work now. It probably didn't work 100% then, but certainly now you can't even get away with it. You can't even say the things that you used to say. You can't act in the way that you used to act. And, and rightly so. And, and rightly so. But so it takes more skill as a leader. Um, I think also we're in danger of um, d- creating young people who are less resilient and softer and cannot take the the hard knocks that life and and sport offers because we are swinging, in my humble opinion, too far the other way of protecting young people from hurt feelings and from not dealing with the realities of life, which then makes leadership of them more challenging when they go into the real environment which is brutal so the raw material that we're working with is getting might be getting better physically it might be getting better technically but psychologically it's not getting better um and i think that's an amazing challenge and and i'm not sure how we get over that um because if it's not give me the boy till he's seven or the girl till he's seven and I'll give you the man. I, I kind of fundamentally believe in that. I'm not saying you can't change, but there's so much that's formed in the early years. So I think we have a challenge and I think maybe the greatest leadership challenge we possibly have is overcoming that kind of challenge. And, and because sports gives, I'm not sure what you think about it, Tom, but, if, if, if I hadn't had sport in my life and, and, and the game and, and football in my life, I'm not sure what kind of life I would have lived because it gave me, it made me, it gave me confidence. It gave me a reason. And it, and, and I got all my, my kind of self-respect from that, you know? And, and if I hadn't had that, and we need to give that to young people, we need to allow young people to have that because it's what, can make them into real men, real women, who then can go on and be great human beings and, and do good things in, in, in 
aspects of life beyond the game? So for me, the key word you used in that answer was challenge. Mm -hmm. And if there's a challenge, there is a solution. Mm -hmm. And you're absolutely right. We have to figure that out. And, but it's a challenge. And every generation is different. And the challenges have been for every generation. So uh, I absolutely agree. But I think if it's a challenge, that challenge can be overcome and succeeded. Uh, Rob, unfortunately, we are now at the end of our time. But before we leave, I wanted to ask if our listeners wanted any more information on yourself, your services, or really any of the topics we've touched on, what would be the best place or places for them to go? Um, if they want to find out about some of my work, yeah, if you just um, go to Apple Podcasts or any, any wherever you get your podcast from and type in Leader Manager Coach. My website's www.robriles.co.uk and I'm on LinkedIn. If you type my name in, Rob Riles, a Leader Manager Coach, you'll uh, get me on there. So any of those will be good. And we have a bonus question. Who is Billy Shankly and why was he such an inspiration to you? Okay, so when I was... The very first football manager that, that kind of got me into this whole thing was Bill Shankly. And if you just look, like, this is Shanks. He was a manager of Liverpool Football Club from 1959 to 1974. And he was born in a Scottish village called Glen Buck and um, devoted his whole life to, the, to, to football. And his philosophy of working-class football and um, team-building has never been surpassed and he's the inspiration for many great managers jock steen and and sir alex ferguson as well so i'm not alone bless him he's no longer with us but um he's loved by by millions and um if you're a liverpool supporter you'll uh you'll owe a lot to shanks so that's bill shankley rob i wanted to thank you again for taking the time to visit with me and i hope we can continue this conversation tom thank you very much for your time it's much appreciated thank you this is Tom Fox again. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of 12 O'Clock High, a podcast on business leadership. I hope you will subscribe, rate, and review this podcast as it would help our ratings on iTunes. Also, I've linked to Jennifer's blog post in the show notes as well as her upcoming webinar on ethics ambassadors. So check both of those out. 12 O'Clock High, a podcast on business leadership is a production of the Compliance Podcast Network. If you haven't done so, check out Presidential Leadership Lessons, a series where Richard Lummis and I are going through the U.S. presidents to take a look at leadership lessons. And I just finished up a special series with Don Frazier from the Texas Center at Shriner University on leadership lessons from presidents of the Republic of Texas. Thanks so much for listening. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.